Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, March 8th, 2013. Today we are reading from the Big Book on page 154, the fourth paragraph that begins, But What About His Responsibilities? And today's readings readers are The Twelve Steps, Melanie, Twelve Traditions, Lisa, and then Sharon, Kim, Paula, and Hoodie. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 7th of March, was 4031. 4031. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition stage, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Melanie to please read the 12 steps. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm in Oregon. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Sixth, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Yes. Thank you, Melanie. I will now ask Lisa to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Lisa, recovering in South Jersey. 
The Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsive overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facilities or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderator is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. And we are on page 154, the fourth paragraph that begins, But what about his responsibilities? And I am going to ask Sharon to please start our reading this morning. Good morning, Monica. Thank you. I'm Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Good morning to all of 
you on the vision for you. But what responsibility, what about his responsibilities, his family, and the men who would die because they would not know how to get well? Ah, yes, those other alcoholics. There must be many such in this town. He would phone a clergyman. His sanity returned, and he thanked God, selecting a church at random from the directory. He stepped into a booth and lifted the receiver. I'll stop there. What a magnificent, magnificent paragraph. What about his responsibilities? Now, we've talked often about the the thoughts that precede that first drink, that first bite. But when was that thought ever what about his responsibilities? When was that thought ever? What about other people? When has my food ever been related to, if I do that, what about other people? You see, our eating isn't just about us. It is not just about us. The power comes when we recognize that we matter. We matter. We are important in this world, in our lives, in our communities. What about our responsibilities to our family, to the men or to the women who would die because they would not know how to get well. Our eating matters. What about them? And the big book says earlier that we're going to come to that point. This is about a glimpse of your future. This is about us. This is about you. Every one of us is going to hit that place where we have to ask, where we're going to be required in order to recover to answer this question. This is what we're being told here. What about your responsibilities? It's not just about us. We have responsibilities. And guess what? When we live responsibly, when we start thinking about others, when we recognize that our eating isn't just about us, then life begins, then the beauty, then the power, then the miracles can happen. And we can be ready to reach out, pick up that phone. And and the other thing, so beautiful right here. He selected a church at random. Didn't have to go figure it out. Now, which denomination should I pick? Who's going to be most receptive to my message? Who will listen? Should it be this one or that one? He didn't go into the head think, you know, the big, the big minefield of the brain, you know, the big 
bottomless pit that's the, of the mind, you know, the whirlwind of thoughts and trying to figure this and that and the other out. Forget that. He just trusted God and did the next right thing. What's the next right thing? It, and, and I'm not going to find the answer in my brain because my best thinking got me insane, insane. And so my thinking, his thinking, was not going to get him out. His, unless he, it was the decision, the decision to do the next right thing, the decision to live responsibly. And at that point, his sanity returned, and he thanked God. The sad, he got sanity. This is thinking of others and doing the next right thing. That's sanity. Our thinking is not always the right thing to do. And he just did it. He, and he allowed the miracle to begin. And the miracle flowed over into the lives of others. And then the community was built around him. This is an example. This is what we're being told. And this is exciting. It's very exciting. And it can happen. It happened for Bill. And what we're being told is that it will happen for each and every one of us. This is not an isolated incident. It's not a far-off thing. It's right here. It's available. It's waiting for us. And each one of us is going to come to that crossroads where we, are we going to think about ourselves or are we going to think about our responsibilities? And when we make that decision that this isn't just about me, this is about the good that I would do, and I'm standing up here to do it. I may be in fear and trembling, but I'm doing it and I'm trusting God and I'm stepping out there. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Judy B. from Massachusetts. Good morning, Judy. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, The line, his sanity returned and he thanked God. That just makes it so clear for me. We are not immune to insane ideas. They do come once in a while. And as long as we don't act on them, you know, we're, we're going to do okay. We, we have to know that when an insane idea comes into our mind, as it has for me in the past, I know that I have to go to the, my Heavenly Father, my, the God, the one who, who directs me and, and lets me know what the next right thing to do is. And um, we, we just are not immune to that, to that thought. Even though we've recovered or we're in recovery, Occasionally, an insane thought comes into our mind, and, and I call that the moment of truth for me, when I know, I know that I cannot act on it, because acting upon the insane thought puts us back into relapse, into all of the, all of the past, which just makes a complete mess of our lives. So I, I just, I love where it says, his sanity returned and he thanked God. And that's exactly what we have to do 
when that thought comes into our mind. We turn to God, we pause, we talk to God, we ask what the next right step is. And certainly the next right step is not, is not to give in to the first drink or the first bite. And I am just so grateful that, that this happened for Bill, because think of all the things that would not have happened after that. It's just, it's just, um, it makes sense. It makes sense. We just, we cannot act on the thought. We turn to God. If, if we still are bombarded by that insane thinking, then hopefully we have developed a network of people in program who we can talk to. And we can talk to them about what they've experienced and how they've gone through such, such times. But the bottom line is that we have to trust God will give us the next right action and we don't give in to those little thoughts that come through our mind occasionally. Such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful program. With that, I pass. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Christy. Christy, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, a vision for you. This is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, you know, in the context of this particular paragraph is right after those thoughts that Bill had about uh, perhaps, perhaps he could go into a bar and have a ginger ale, you know, that, that twisted thinking, those strange mental blank spots, that cunning, baffling, and powerful disease was nipping, nipping at his thoughts. And, um, you know, what Bill had been given, what Bill had been given um, is the ability to pause. You know, the ability to pause, stop, dead in his tracks and say, wait a minute, but what about, what about my family? What about people who would die because they didn't know how to get well? What about those other alcoholics? And, um, you know, that is what recovery has given me, is the ability to pause. You know, if, if I walked by a candy dish at work, I didn't have the ability to say, Christy, wait a minute, before you, you know, dig your fist into that, or, you know, shove your fist into that candy dish and just grab candy while nobody's looking, um, don't you remember what happened the last time you did that? Uh, but recovery has given me the ability, and certainly over the past number of years, to grow away from even having a desire to shove my fist into that candy dish. Now, I don't walk by candy dishes, you know, giving them a wide berth because I might put my hand in there. I've grown away from even having a desire to do that. That is what recovery has done for me. It's given me a gap, a gap between wanting, not having any control over putting my fist inside whatever bag that candy dish is out there and eating it, you know, like a, like, you know, a, a starving or rabid animal. I, I, I don't do that anymore. And that's what recovery has done for me. The other thing recovery has done for me, you know, this program was um, designed for someone like me. And just between you and I, I am someone who is selfish, 
self-centered to the extreme. I'm the type of person that will say, I got mine, thank you very much. I'll just be hanging out on my couch over here. And what um, I was taught early on is, you know, in order to save yourself, Christy, so this, this works for me, right? It puts me at the center. In order to save yourself, in order to save your own skin, in order to keep what you have, you have to help other people. You have to help other people. You have to get sponsees. You have to work with sponsees. And trust me, you know, working with sponsees has been a ringside seat to a miracle or a ringside seat to an unraveling. You know, I've had the experience of both, and I need both of those. I need both of those experiences because they remind me of who I am and what I'm up against every day. And I, you know, this reminds me of that first call, that first, I mean, this is the first 12-step call. Well, the second one, if you count, you know, um, Ebby, of course, coming to Bill. But, you know, Bill knew that he had to give this away. He had to work with another alcoholic. And I would strongly encourage people to do so. Um, you know, my sponsor taught me early on, you know, you need to get sponsees and you need to get more than one so that you're hearing more voices out there um, of people that are, you know, you've pulled into the lifeboat basically or they've grabbed onto the life ring. Um, and I'm so grateful for that experience every day and I hope other people are, you know, getting to experience that as well. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? It's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Monica. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So much to learn here in in this story and in this paragraph. It says, but what about his responsibilities, his family, and the men who would die because they would know how to... They would not know how to get well. Oh, yes. Ah, yes. Those other alcoholics. I mean, if you recall in yesterday's study, you know, we've got Bill. Um, he was on a business trip. The business trip went bad. Um, he's feeling, you know, in, on page 154 at the top, he's bitterly discouraged. He's feeling very sad. He's feeling very depressed. He's feeling very low. Essentially, he's feeling restless, irritable, and discontent. Um, and, of course, you know, as we read uh, that that beast, you know, called the obsession of the mind, rears its head for a few minutes and gives it a good try by whispering in his ear, the uh, option of picking up, you know, why not sit uh, hopefully at a table, a bottle of ginger ale before him? After all, had he not been sober six months now, perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. So there's that obsession of the mind rearing its head uh, for a few moments, uh, just to give it a good old try here. Um, but when we study this paragraph this morning, but what about his responsibilities? See, if we uh if we live through our emotions, emotions like sadness, like being depressed, like being discouraged, um you know, if you let your emotions determine how you act, you're doomed. You're doomed. You'll be a prisoner of your emotions because if you rely on your emotions for stability, given how much emotions fluctuate, Bill is recovered here. But he's still living life on life's terms. And just because he's recovered doesn't mean he's not subject to and subject of life. <laughs> he's still subject to bad business deals now and then. 
So if you rely on your emotions for stability, given how much emotions fluctuate in this life of ours, we're going to be on a roller coaster emotionally every given day. But see, Bill is recovered. He makes a different choice here. He has the ability to make a choice. Look what it says here. It says, but what about his responsibilities, his family, and the men who would die because they would not know how to get well? See, instead of relying on his emotions to determine his behavior, where does Bill go? Bill goes to principles. Bill goes to the spiritual principles. He goes to service. He goes to responsibility. He goes to contributing to society. He goes to God-centeredness rather than self-centeredness. He says there must be many such in this town. He would phone a clergyman. See, he made a choice to align himself with principles, to align himself with, with God. And that's the great paradox of this program, that we can seldom keep this precious gift of recovery unless we give it away. Because if we neglect those who are still sick, then there's danger to our own lives and to our own sanity. But because he chose principles, because he chose a God-centered uh, action, his sanity returned, and he thanked who? He thanked God. Because under that self-preservation, under that duty, under that love uh, to carry the message, he was restored to sanity. And those of us that have had that spiritual awakening are, change, are charged with that same responsibility. And that responsibility is to carry this message. And I don't know about you. <laughs> I can tell you about me. I never wanted to be a compulsive overeater. And this may seem strange to you, uh, but my life goal was not to be here today on the phone speaking to you. I, I certainly had other thoughts and dreams for myself. But, you know, in learning about my history and in learning about what Bill had to do, uh, and he blazed the trail, I, I have to follow suit. His sanity returned, and he thanked God, selecting a church at random from the directory. He stepped into a booth and lifted the receiver. Bill decides to make a phone call. He needs to tell a story, and he needs to tell his story. And the best story he could tell was his own story of alcoholism and how he was transformed. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah, and this is Monica, and I would also like to share on this paragraph. Wow, this is powerful stuff. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, but what about his responsibility? So in the paragraph before, you know, like uh, he, he has a temptation. This is, we're reading about his experience here. He still gets a crazy thought, you know. A thought comes into his head about, you know, you know, little three little drinks, maybe that would be, or just a little ginger ale, that would be okay, huh? The, the mental obsession is coming in. But Bill had a spiritual experience when he was still in the hospital, when he did steps one, two, and three, realized he was powerless, that he needed a power greater than him, and he asked, and he made a decision, and he asked God to be his power for him. He had a spiritual experience. He had a personality change. And what does that mean? It means he was given a different set of attitudes and ideas. His thinking, God has changed his thinking. So here he gets the temptation. And then, but what about his responsibilities? Is this not transformation for Bill? 
He never thought about anybody else before. Never. It was him and only him and the next drink. And here he's had, wow, what about others? You know, maybe I can help somebody else. So for the first time in his life, he realizes he has responsibility and he makes a decision here. And this is where God comes in here. This is where God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. We are powerless over this mental obsession. But when we give ourselves in, over to God and work this program, He can give us that moment of pause. He has the power. He's greater than this disease. To have that moment of pause where we can pause and, okay, what do I need to do here? Whoa, there's that little liar trying to tell me this is just the best idea I've had here to go pick that up. No, no, no. I'm not believing the lie anymore. And his sanity returns and he thanked God. And that is so important. Every day, thank you, God, for everything that you have given me. I start my day with thank you, God. I end my day with thank you, God. Because the bottom line is, it's God, it's God, it's God. And so he made a decision here. And what's real important also is that he immediately followed it by an action. He picked up that phone and he called. And I will pass with that. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Okay, let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kim, would you read, please? Katie, okay. Would you like to share, Katie? Okay, Kim, let's go ahead with the next paragraph. Okay. Um, His call to the clergyman led him presently to a certain resident of the town who, though formally able and respected, was then nearing the nadir of alcoholic despair. It was the usual situation. Home in jeopardy, wife ill, children distracted, bills in arrears, and standing damaged. He had a desperate desire to stop, but saw no way out for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. And then there's an asterisk that says, this refers to Bill's first visit with Dr. Bob. These men later became co-founders of AA. Bill's story opens the text of this book, and Dr. Bob's heads the story section. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I am a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. And um, boy, this this is a beautiful rendition of the birth of AA. And uh, the last two paragraphs, oh, they hit my heart. So he, meaning Dr. Bob, had a desperate desire to stop but saw no way out. For he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape, painfully aware of being somehow abnormal the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. And let me tell you, this describes 15 years in OA for me. 15 years. I had a desperate desire to stop, but I saw no way out. And I had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. Now, what is amazing is when, when Bill came to see Dr. Bob, and he told him about this twofold nature, and he said, Bob, you have an allergy of the body. 
you have this abnormal reaction when you ingest alcohol, it creates this phenomenon of craving that you are unable to stop. You become less satisfied at the hundredth drink than you did at the first. And therefore, you cannot have one drink or it will create this phenomenon of craving. But even more deceptively, even more dastardly, is you have this obsession of the mind that even when you get the willpower to put this drink down, you are going to have a mind that's going to tell you that having that drink is the best idea you've had in a long time. And, then, and Bob had never heard that. Bob knew he was somewhat abnormal, but he did not understand what it meant to be alcoholic. He'd never heard this twofold disease. And what Phil found out when he ta- started to talk, and Bob finally said, okay, if this, is my, if this is who I am. If I am truly an alcoholic, what do I do? Mr. Mr. Stranger who came to my house, what do I do? And he began to tell him about the solution and this plan of action. And Bill was shocked to find out that Bob was in the Oxford group. Bob had been exposed to this plan of action. Bob had earnestly tried many avenues of escape, and one of them was the Oxford group. Well, that is my experience. I was in L.A. I was earnestly trying these steps in many different fashions. I was using outside material. I was using L.A. literature. I was using A.A. literature. I was reading this big book as if it was a a neat novel and randomly trying to apply these principles. I desperately wanted to stop, but I saw no way out. And it wasn't until I got into a big book study. It wasn't until I went to the front of this book and started, and I read that doctor's opinion, and I truly understood I have this twofold disease. And I was exposed to this pure message, not the watered-down message of don't, don't eat, go to meetings, not the watered-down message of if you just call a sponsor every day, if you just make three phone calls and do nothing else, you will be okay. That, this, that I have to manage my emotions, and if I manage my emotions, I'll be okay. But to purely take this book and not put it underneath my pillow and hope till the next day to wake up recovered, but to take this book and to reply the, it page by page and walk through this process, that I can have that spiritual awakening, that I can have that psychic change sufficient to bring about recovery. So this is a very personal message Bob now understood what it meant to be an alcoholic, and he was able to go back and take the same solution he was told, the same solution. I was told about the 12 steps, but it wasn't until I understood the depths of what it meant to be a compulsive overeater that I was able to apply these steps in a way that I was able to become recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula Mascia. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you, Monica. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, I'm going to just bring one word and bring it right down to this paragraph. And that word was random. Selecting a church at random from the directory. You know, you don't see any random here. How does it come about that he picks up the phone, he talks to this, this clergyman, and then he comes to Dr. Bob. Mm, nearing the nadir. The nadir was meaning the bottom, the lowest point of alcoholic despair. This guy didn't have a shot. 
But look at what happens. It was the usual situation. Now, when you think of home, mind you, if we think of a doctor and a family, is this what you think of? Throw alcoholism into the mix. And this is what you get. A home in jeopardy. Wife ill, children distracted, bills in rear, and standing damaged. Oh, yes, damaged he was. But this part, he had a desperate desire to stop. Okay, so the desire was present. The desire was there. But he saw no way out. Even with the desire present, it couldn't propel him to the place he needed to be at. There was no way out. And I love this. He tried many avenues of escape. Well, can't we all, as we do our stories, avenues may be different. Avenues may run parallel of escape, a way out, when there was none. It was a solid wall each time. But this part, painfully aware, oh, God, this hurts. This hurts of being somehow abnormal, the last thing you want to come to. Abnormal? Lord, I was trying so hard to be normal. Honey, until you accept that you're not, that you're not, nor will ever be. The man did not fully realize. I noticed Bill uses that word fully realized. He realized parts, but not fully. The same way when we go to page 30, and oftentimes I would say, yeah, I'll concede to that. Yep, yep, yep. No, fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. And this man did not know what it meant to be an alcoholic. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Well, let me tell you the meanings of this disease, honey. Let me tell you where it will take you. He'd gone pretty much that way, hadn't he? With that, I will say I bid you, and uh, I will pass. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. Okay, let's move on to the this next. Is, Go ahead. This is Katie. Good morning, Katie. Go ahead. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, I just wanted to focus on the last section. It says the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. So that's the problem. Is that you know, people try all these different things. They even sit in OA rooms for years like I did. But I really didn't understand. I really didn't understand the twofold nature of my disease. And until I did, I couldn't, it just didn't matter what I did. I kept going back to the food because I thought that I I not only did I think I was abnormal, I thought I was constitutionally incapable of getting it. I thought I was so unique that even though there were other people who were recovered, my situation, everything, all the excuses that came into that gap. You know, Christy was talking about that recovery gives us that pause where we, you know, and that was my daily existence was walking into my place of employment, picking up candy from the candy dish before I even could think twice about the fact that I had made that firm resolve when I woke up that morning that today was going to be the day. I didn't have that um, 
pause that I have today where I think of others and I think of all the things that God has brought me through. But until I understood it, I didn't understand it. So, you know, I can't skip all around this big book and just pick out the parts I like. I have to be willing to do the work, and that includes uh, total surrender with that I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Let's move on now to the next paragraph. And Paula, would you read, please? This would be Paula Recovered Compulsive Overeater. When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. He had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. Why, he argued, should he lose the remainder of his business only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people from whom he had made his livelihood. He would do anything, he said, but that. Well, you know, I'm a loving that, but that. And we've all been there, haven't we? Well, you know, I'll, I'll do anything. You know that we write in the, the beginning of our book, we're willing to go to any lens. Yep, oh, well, well, let's not get crazy here. Honey, you already are crazy. There ain't no getting anymore. You got it. But this part, the more we see it, a spiritual experience. Now, look at the man is conceding here. It was absolutely necessary. <laughs> the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. What was the basis suggested? To speak the steps? To know the steps? No, to live the steps and to live it out. To live out that fourth step. Live out that fifth step. To make those amends. To get out there. Come to that place. Now, hear the action. They're the word, but they're the action must follow, or nothing will be done. Here is where you see you make the decision. Oh, yeah, that third one. Honey, that fourth one is when the splash takes place. This is when you dive in, sweetie, and you do it. And this is where he had reluctance. Why, he said, they're not even going to know. Oh, let me tell you, they're the insanity again. They all knew. Who wouldn't know? But this part, why, he argued, should he lose the remainder of his business like he wouldn't with the continuation of this life, only to bring still more suffering to his family? To his family. Here he admitted he had brought much suffering to them. As was spoken before, no man is an island. This has the ripple effect, this disease. By foolishly admitting his plight to people from whom he made his livelihood. Hey, now you're getting close here. Oof. This is how he earned his income. Even there, even there. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Good morning. It's Rick. It's Leah. I heard Rick and then Leah. Good Go ahead, morning. Rick. My, name is, my name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, he had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about why why should he admit this stuff? Why should he risk losing his business? Self-centered fear, one of the biggest defects of character that keeps us from working these steps. 
why would I go to those meetings with those people? Why would I do these steps and admit all my difficulties? Why would I uh, bear myself of, of all these troubles that I have? Well, we have to do that in order to get the freedom that we're looking for by working this program. So Bob is, we're, we're seeing right here, Bob had that, that self-centered fear that runs rampant in all of us, and, and they call it that familiar obsession. So they're just beginning the story here of Bob and Bill, and they're, you know, they're recounting the meeting. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. Um, and our friend, of course, is Bill. <laughs> when our friend related his experience, and that's exactly, um, you know, we carry a message of depth and weight. Um, Bill carried his experience. Bill told his story. This is not about frothy emotional appeal. This is not about Dr. Bob's wife pleading with him to stop drinking or his children, you know, begging him to stop living that way or the colleagues at the hospital begging him to stop uh, his habit. Um, this is Bill Wilson telling his story. Now, Bill Wilson, of course, needs to tell his story right now, right? <laughs> he needs to tell his story. And the best story he could tell was not the story of Oxford groups and not um, some uh, textbook rendition of a spiritual conversion, but what Bill ends up doing is telling his drinking story and his drinking story in such a way that it's clear that Dr. Bob feels like Bill did, you know, and Dr. Bob is going to realize that he's hopeless because Dr. Bob also has an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind, which is going to doom him to this vicious cycle of not being able to stop once he started and always, even if he does sober up, never being able to stop from starting again. So it's Bill's story. It's Bill's experience that brings that clarity. It's Bill's story that brings that clarity mixed with the hopelessness of the situation that Dr. Bob finds himself in that's going to allow Dr. Bob at some point, although he's balking here, he is balking with fear and pride. He does not want to have to go through this. He does not want to have to muster up enough ego deflation to do what is necessary. You know, but freedom isn't free. Most freedoms are difficult. Most freedoms are difficult. It says a spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. Well, I mean, that is, that is the cornering that each and every one of us who are recovered had to get to. You know, it's either uh, continue to eat ourselves to death, or pick up this kit of spiritual tools and implement these actions as directed. There is no door number three. There is no door number three. You know, freedom is not free. Most freedoms are difficult. This program of action, it sounds entirely sensible, doesn't it? <laughs> but it is pretty drastic. I don't know if it's as drastic as killing oneself with one's own fist, like I was doing, but it is drastic. It does mean throwing away some lifelong 
attitudes and ideas and conceptions that we have. That's not easy. But Bill, I mean, Dr. Bob's going to have to make that decision. He's balking right now, but he will come to that same decision, making that choice, door number one or door number two. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this? Okay, I'll take that, and we'll move on to the next paragraph. And go, go ahead. Who is this? Hi, this is Patricia. Go ahead, um, Patricia. Just, um, just one thing on the spiritual experience, <laughs> because when I when I was running around with that, knowing that I'm abnormal and all that, and I was in church, you know, and I was having, you know, I could feel God and all this spiritual stuff. However, I didn't, when it came time to turn my will and my life over, that was a whole other story for me. And the price seemed high. Seemed is the magic word for me here. Because as I'm, as I'm processing and as I've been processing this, the, you know, looking where I came from and what I was doing with my life to looking to what I believe God has promised me, for one, he promised me a plan, that he has a plan for me. And um, now this is my own belief, this is my own God, okay, that he created me so he must have a purpose for me and he has a plan. So the price seemed high, but then I look at where I came from and what I was doing with my life, either going to eat myself to death or end up in an institution because of these crazy obsessions making me nuts. I'm serious. These were making me really crazy. And so it seemed high. You know, oh, I'm going to give all that up? Then what am I going to be? When I give all that up, then then what am I going to do? But it's not, for me, it hasn't been this instant Bam, you know, I'm, I'm walking with God, and it has been something gradual, something that, you know, my life has been, um, I'm letting go with Clomax, my will, you know, and that's what I'm finding out, that it's actually my self-will that I'm letting go of, and, um, and it just seems high, because ever since I've been doing this and practicing and practicing and practicing, you know, giving it over, praying, pausing, waiting, as I've been practicing this, things are opening up. My mind, God is opening up my thinking, and he's like, he's fine-tuning my brain. He's changing the way my mind thinks, you know, and it's really awesome. It's a miracle. My husband says, honey, whatever you're doing, keep going, (laughs) you know. So to me, um, it's God. God is just doing. So, yeah, it seemed, you know, that's, to me, that's the word. It seemed high. Anyways, thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Patricia. And Hoodie, would you please move, uh, read the next paragraph? Certainly. Good morning, uh, Monica. This is Hoodie, compulsive overeater. Um, thank, and it's great to be on the line this morning. Being intrigued, however, <clears throat> he invited our friend to his home. Some time later, and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. For him, this was a spree that ended all sprees. He saw that he would have to face his problems squarely, that God might give him mastery. 
And, um, oh, well, what a paragraph. Um, this really, I really relate to this one. Um, being intrigued, this doc, Dr. Bob was intrigued. He was interested. He was curious. Why? Because this, this um, has depth, depth and weight. Um, hearing Bill's story, he knew what he was talking about. And it, it, they spoke the same language, and he identified, and um, therefore he invited him into his home. Sometime, um, and um, I just was reminding how much um, I have a problem. I have this problem, and um, I know I have to let go and um, trust God and um, clean house. And God could help me, but I, I always wanted to find that easier, softer way. And that pink cloud, um, that pink cloud of abstinence, um, it, was, it was so strong. And many, many months, I, I didn't pick up that bite. And all of a sudden, I went um, and I had that wrong bender and said, no, never again. I have to do this thing. And I had to take all my willingness, all my willingness I could muster so I could trust God clean house and continue to help others and be of usefulness to to my fellow then that I pass. Thank you, Hoodie. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Good morning, Kim. Go ahead. Good morning again, everyone. Being intrigued, however, he invited our friend to his home sometime later and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender, being intrigued. I mean, I was very intrigued when I came into L.A. Look at all these people that seem to be able to keep the food down. And I couldn't keep it down for a couple days, you know, by the time I crawled in this room. And as I stayed in this room and tried to just work this program of abstinence, it got to the point I couldn't keep the food down for a couple of hours. So, of course, I was intrigued by these people that seemed to be able to laugh about their hardships from the past. So it says here, just as he thought he was getting control. So he was getting control. And one of the things Dr. Bob talks about in his story is he was very resistant to step nine. He was very resistant to have to go out there and make his amends. He was willing to do a lot of the steps up to that point. But he was very resistant to step nine. You know, so I just want to read from page 63. I think a lot of times what we do, and, and I've seen it in a way, and my experience is in a way, is we get to step three, we make that decision, and we go, oh, yeah, God will take care of it. God will take care of it. God will take care of it. I just have to work step three, and everything will be okay. So after we get to step three, it says, next, we launch down on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, of which many of us never attempted. And that's not just step four. That's the inventory process of step four through nine is the house cleaning. And back to the text. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us, blocking us from God. So, of course, Dr. Bob was in there and he was working these steps. And he thought he had control of the situation, so he was still putting his will in there. And what were the consequences of that? Is he went on a roaring bender. What are the consequences that I see over and over in L.A.? Is when we try to do the parts that are only convenient to us, is we pick up and we pick up. However intrigued we are by this process, if we do not not only make that decision, but go through the action steps afterward, it will have no permanent effect. And we, like Dr. Bob, when we think we have control of our food situation, 
we will go on a roaring bender. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this before we close? It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Sometime later, and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. Again, you know, proving what's true uh, for us today, that, you know, if we don't deal with disease, it will deal with us. Um, You know, getting control of his liquor situation is a physical solution. It is a physical solution. However, we have a spiritual malady. So just merely eliminating alcohol is not going to attend to the spiritual illness that Dr. Bob is suffering from. Dr. Bob is suffering from a spiritual malady, an illness, a spiritual misunderstanding, so to to speak, a gangrene of the spirit, and only a spiritual awakening, a transformation of his mind. He has to transcend the intellect, transcend the ego to a spirit-guided mind. And that is possible through these steps. It says, for him, this was the spree that ended all sprees. The dying need only apply here, you know, uh, for the program of recovery. Um, He saw that he would have to face his problems squarely, that God might give him mastery. See, it's not going to be just merely the elimination of alcohol. We need a power greater than ourselves. The only way to be restored to sanity, the only way to be delivered out of this quicksand is to be re- you know, is to be um, rescued from it. And so we take these actions that we don't believe in. You know, Dr. Bob uh, perhaps didn't believe, you know, all these action steps. Of course we don't always believe them perfectly before we start because we, we don't believe it until after we do it. That's what faith is all about. So we take these actions even though they don't make sense to us ahead of time even though they didn't make sense to Dr. Bob ahead of time, even though he was balking, even though his fear reared its head, even though his pride reared its head, he took these actions, even though it didn't make perfect logic. But you know what? Uh, Drinking binges don't make sense either. Did, Did a bag of Doritos ever look like it? Ease and comfort? Does, Does it look like that? You know, it it alters our minds because of our illness. Well, God can alter our minds. God will transform our minds. God makes that possible. And the program of recovery is the solution that offers us the directions of how to do that. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Sharon, can you read a vision for you, please? Absolutely. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. 
but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I pass.